And we as humans, we have a tendency to just push it. Like, hey, I borrowed a little bit and it was okay. Maybe I'll borrow a little bit more. And I enjoyed borrowing it because it let me buy something that I wanted. Right. And so maybe I'll borrow a little bit more. And we just tend to spend and borrow and spend and borrow without paying down the debt. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo, and in this episode of Getting Money Right, we're continuing our discussion about economics and how it personally impacts you. In the last episode, we spent a lot of time talking about productivity, uh, both from a personal standpoint, a business standpoint, and an overall economic picture. Like, what does this look like in our country, the gross domestic product and everything that we're producing? And we've introduced the idea of credit and credit cycles. Uh, We talked a little bit about the short-term debt cycle and now we're going to talk a little bit more about the long-term debt cycle. So let's just go back to a quick basic, a quick reminder of what we're talking about. As we talk about the economy as a whole, there are three forces that impact the whole economy. So one is productivity growth. And we spent most of last episode on productivity growth. Then we talk about the short-term debt cycle, which is somewhere around 8 to 10 years. And then these long-term debt cycles that are impacting the economy that sometimes you don't even feel it because it's such a long term, it's in that 75 to 100 year range. So Leo, let's talk about the short-term debt cycle and how it happens over decades and what that looks like a little bit. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing we want you guys to understand is that the short debt cycle is somewhere between five and eight years. So typically what happens is the interest rates are low. The economy looks good. Everybody's spending. The income is going up. Productivity is going up. So everything on the surface looks great. And as a result, people are spending money. Some of that spending, as we talked in the last couple episodes, comes from borrowing. In fact, a majority of it comes from borrowing. So as that's happening, debt is being added, but the income is growth is also keeping up. At least on the surface, it looks like it. But this is where it begins to change because over time, people tend to spend more than they should. Mm -hmm. And as they do that, they're borrowing from the future. As we said, when you're spending through credit or borrowing, you're literally saying, I'm going to spend more today, even though my production is less, I'm going to spend more than I produce, but I'm going to pay for it in the future. And we are the eternal optimists. We think the future is always going to be better. We're going to have more in the future. So we tend to over leverage ourselves buying more than we should. And as we do that, slowly, we take on more than, than we should. And as that happens, people begin to get squeezed. As they begin to get squeezed, they can't borrow anymore. The debt is higher than they can manage. They stop spending. And that's the beginning then of the downside of this debt, short debt cycle. Because now people, as they're not spending, remember, one person's income is another person's spending. So if you're not spending, somebody's not earning. And as people stop spending because they're trying to pay their debt off, then income begins to go down. So as people stop spending money, more people make less money. And as that happens, then the cycle, as it goes down, the Fed has to come in and then decrease interest rates to stimulate people from not spending, but to start borrowing and spend more. Even though they can't really manage it yet, they're doing that. So this is where the short-term debt cycle happens over decades because it's happening in five to eight time frame increments, but it happens over and over and over and over again. And that equals that long-term debt cycles that we're going to talk about this time. Yeah, that's where you see, you know, these dips in the market 
where everything seems to be moving up for a while, and then all of a sudden it all seems to be moving down for a while. Mm-hmm. And then over a couple of years, it starts to move back up, and then over a couple of years, it starts to move back down. Now, overall, as long as productivity growth is continuing to increase slowly, right. then overall, the economy is growing, and overall, the trend is upwards. It's a, it's a nice, slow incline. So even with these cycles, things are moving up, but sometimes they're moving up really fast. And then sometimes things are moving down really fast. Right. But then it just cycles around this consistent, steady line of productivity growth. Yeah. So it, it's this is why it's so important that we talked about credit in the first couple episodes, because when credit is available, mm-hmm. people are gonna use it. When yep. there's access to money, and this is this is why it was important we talked about there's somewhere between two to three trillion dollars of actual currency in our country but another $50 trillion of money that is simply digital credit borrowing, borrowing and lending, yep. right? And so $50 trillion versus 2 to $3 trillion, you're looking at 90 to 95% right. is in credit. So when we call it a short-term debt cycle, the reason we say that is because a lot of this relates to credit and debt. So when the credit is available, the economy expands because mm-hmm. everybody can buy more. They can borrow, that which means they can buy, which means they you know influence somebody else's income. But when that credit starts to tighten and all of a sudden there's a problem and all of a sudden I can't make all my payments, that credit, the whole cycle starts to tighten and then a recession comes in. So this is controlled by two major factors, really. One, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, they are playing with the interest rate making it a little bit easier to borrow, access a little bit more credit, or they start raising the interest rate, which makes it a little bit harder to borrow and lowering typical credit worthiness. So it's controlled by the central bank and it's controlled by human behavior. And we as humans, we have a tendency to just push it. Like, hey, I borrowed a little bit and it was okay. Maybe I'll borrow a little bit more. And I enjoyed borrowing it because it let me buy something that I wanted. Right. And so maybe I'll borrow a little bit more. And we just tend to spend and borrow and spend and borrow without paying down the debt or without focusing on the debt and having what Leo, you and I call a stability fund or an emergency fund. Right. So that if something goes wrong in our personal lives, we have the ability to pay our debts. Without that, human nature tends to push us forward. And hey, how much can I get away with? We see that things are going well. We think I'm I'm okay now. I'm going to borrow two hundred thousand dollars for a house because I have a job today, but maybe we're ignoring the other debts that we've taken on: car debt, student loan debt, furniture debt, um, and this goes for individuals, and it goes for companies, and it goes for governments. Individually, we tend to not think about the amount of debt we're carrying. Companies tend to see, hey, if debt is available and I can use that to invest in new products, new equipment, new technologies to produce faster and increase my productivity, it's always going to be a good thing. But there are always unforeseen circumstances that may cause problems. So we have this cycle. Things look like they're going up for a while. And then all of a sudden something switches where we can't pay a debt or we begin to miss our credit worthiness. Less credit is available. The interest rates go up. And then now the whole economy slumps for a while. So this is a really interesting cycle. Yeah, right. And as long as income is rising, debt is manageable, right? If I make more money every year, then I can technically take on more debt and manage Mm -hmm. it. Now, there is a crossover point where you borrow too much. And this is where this whole problem comes in. But as long as your income's rising, debt is manageable. And that's connected to productivity, right? We talked about how that really is the most important part. 
At the same time, if you think about in an expansion, in an economy that's going well, asset values are increasing, right? People are buying homes. Mm -hmm. The home uh, values are going up because everybody's buying. So that, you know, it's supply and demand. So if there's more people buying and it's of higher value, then just that brings it up across the board for everybody. And it looks like your credit is going up because you're borrowing. And the way that we, the way we look at credit in the country is mm-hmm. that the more you borrow and the better you manage it, yes. as long as you're making your minimum payments, then the credit rating agencies actually increase your credit worthiness. Which gives you license to borrow more. Which gives you more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So as long as you're increasing income it's and increasing in the asset, uh, people are motivated, right? They're credit worthy. They're motivated to spend more because technically what happens is you're looking at your life and you're just saying, I'm making good money. I have great assets. I've got, you know, liquidity and I've got more money. So I should increase my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And this is where the pressures of just being a human come right. in where you're like, well, I, I would like to buy that better car. I'd like to buy a bigger house because we're a growing family. I'd like to take a better vacation. So now we tend to borrow more. We do that through credit cards. We do that through long-term purchases. But overall, debt continues to rise. Right. The problem is we do cross over to where we take on too much. And that's not easily seen when we do it because we always borrow a larger amount. But then our actual payment, the debt repayment, is always way lower than what you're borrowing. Right. If, if you were buying, let's say, a car and you were buying it and you're saying, okay, in six months, you got to pay it off. Well... That would really make you think, well, how much can I pay off in six months? But if you're buying a car over a 72-month period, you can afford $600 a month. That doesn't seem to be so bad. Right. Whereas if you had to borrow and pay 40000 in six months, you probably would never borrow. Right. Or you would certainly wouldn't borrow that much. So by having easy credit and the ability to borrow, we tend to borrow too much. Mm-hmm. This is what causes these cycles. We borrow too much. All of a sudden, we realize it a little bit later than we should, and we start cutting back. And that brings it all, you know, starting to come back down right. because now there's less spending, less less income. And that's where a lot of people come to you and I, Leo, and especially in the workshops and classes that we've taught over the years, is that's where we meet people, right. is that things are right on the line. Usually it's not people who are doing um, exceptionally well with their finances. They've already got a great budget in place. Uh, a lot of times it'll start when somebody's getting married and they're just starting their finances, or it'll start, somebody will come to us when... They're feeling the pinch. And what we instruct them to do when they're feeling the pinch on their finances is we teach them how to create a plan and then how to slowly remove expenses from their life, Mm -hmm. how to um, lower their lifestyle, lower their expenses, and then to stop borrowing and start paying that borrowing back and start to pay off their debt. And we instruct them on how to lower their lifestyle so they can pay off debt. Now, what this does is it means that they're not borrowing anymore which means that they're spending less in their budget and they're not borrowing additional on top of that. So they're not even, they're, they're spending way less because yes. before they were spending maybe 110% of their income. Right. And now Leo, you and I are asking them to spend 90% of their income or, more, or 80% of their income <laughs> yeah, or right. 70% of that. We're asking them to pull back. Now, if you, if one person does that, it maybe doesn't affect the whole economy. No. But if a major cycle is happening, where a lot of people are starting to miss payments or feel tight in their finances. And a lot of people are having to pull back their spending, which is wisdom individually. They should be doing that. Right. But when they're doing that and they're now paying off debt, they're deleveraging, they're removing the leverage, they're removing the debt from their life. Right. So they're deleveraging 
but that deleveraging slows down the whole economy. Right. Because now you have millions and millions of people that are on a budget yeah. that are not using debt to fuel their lifestyle. And it can be a beautiful thing. It can be something where we move at a, an appropriate pace. It, it, it hurts a little bit in the short run because you are spending a little bit less. But in the long term, you're in a much better place financially. Mm-hmm. You're credit worthy again. So you're having this downturn for a while while you pay off debt and regain, regain your credit worthiness. But then you have to be wise in the future to borrow, to grow, but not to overborrow, overgrow. Uh, and, and I would say, you know, it's important to have surety, a sure way to pay and to have the emergency fund and the stability fund in place. And that's where this is really interesting because we're talking about these huge economic debt cycles, but they very closely relate to our personal finance cycles. Yeah, and they it's walk just, hand in hand with each other. They walk really. hand in hand. And so uh, I, I think that it's, it's just a fun concept to realize um, that, that the whole economy works like this. Yeah, and that's so much of it depends on our individual decisions to borrow and how much to borrow. Right. But that goes across, you know, the whole society, all, all yeah. the people, the people that are in the United well, States. And this is where the government comes in because the government can create policies that encourage a lot of people to borrow money mm-hmm. when maybe they shouldn't be borrowing. Right. And see, here's the big thing, guys. <laughs> What's missing is the education that goes along right. with the ability to borrow. Right. And this is what David and I have committed our lives to, is educating people why it's so important to understand personal finance because it does affect you in so many ways, but it also affects literally our economy, our country. The health of our economy and mm-hmm. the health and the wellness of our country depends on our individual choices. Now, I can make good choices all day long, and I can have a majority of people make wrong choices, but I'm still going to be affected. It doesn't right. matter if I make big time. Now, in the end, though, I will fare better yeah. if I make better decisions. And here's why. Because on an individual level, if I don't borrow more than I'm capable of paying back, and if over time I embrace a mindset that debt is really something I will never take on unless it produces an income for me, and it's something that I'm not, I'm not going to over leverage so that I never get into a position where I end up losing that asset and potentially losing some of my actual income or savings in order to get out of that bad asset. Mm-hmm. Now, there is no 100% good investment, but the less you leverage, the more safe that investment is. Let me give you a quick example. If you have an investment property and you bought it, and over, let's say, 10, 15 years, you pay it off, mm-hmm. it does not matter whether the value of that property goes up or down. It doesn't matter in the short term or even in the long term. It doesn't matter because if your purpose is to hang on to that property in order to rent it out, guess what? People will have to rent it no matter whether the economy is well or the economy is going bad. Now, your rents might change. You might have to lower your rents a little bit or you might have to bump your rates depending on where your the economy happens to be. But that asset is going to produce for you and there's no risk to you. Even if Think of it this way. Even if it's empty for three months, and you have some savings set aside, because you don't have a mortgage payment on it, and all you have is taxes and insurance, your cost is going to be very low. And it's going to be manageable for you to hang on to that property long term. And it will be an asset that's going to produce an income for you rather than something that eventually could cause you to actually default and Mm -hmm. lose uh, the asset. And this is where investing in anything is important to understand, because this goes right along with what we're saying. When you borrow, when you leverage yourself too much, you put yourself in a position to default or lose that asset. And if you do that and 10 other million people do that or 300 million people do that, then we see this huge debt cycle come, which is a long-term debt cycle, come to fruition. When it does, 
then that's a significant, significant uh, event because that's not something that the central bank can easily manipulate and change. Right. When you get to deleveraging, the interest rate usually is down to almost 0% or it's quickly brought to 0%. But things are so bad, there's so much debt and there's so much income that's dropped and some the spending is cut back so much that it cannot be impacted by the interest rate being lowered anymore. Right. So that will not work anymore. Right. So something else has to happen in order for deleveraging to be effective to bring the economy back around. So let's talk about that. What, yeah, does, well, what does let, that look like? Yeah, and let's talk about a, a really good real-life example here of how your individual decisions, uh, you're going to be affected by the whole economy, but if you're making good individual decisions, you can come out ahead. So, uh, And how government policy impacts our economy, and then a bunch of individual decisions may change things. So think back to the 1990s. And I think it was in 1992, um, the Housing and Community Development Act was established by the government. And it was essentially something that pushed uh, 30% of housing and urban development, this branch of the government, to push affordable housing mm -hmm. and essentially push uh, loans to people who were subprime lenders, people that maybe couldn't afford the house. Now, they were supposed to do, be getting into affordable houses, right. but just because you say it's affordable doesn't mean it's actually affordable. Now, now the, the, think about the vision and the hope of this. The vision and the hope is that the government makes some additional money available to people through credit, through borrowing, right? So the government's looking to expand the economy, and they're looking to put people in homes, which is traditionally a very safe place for people to invest. You know, like, hey, you have a house, you have a career, you put money into your house, it stays in the house as equity. They're trying to make homes available to people that maybe couldn't afford a house. Mm -hmm. The goal was um, noble, right. Right? right? And if you do it well, maybe the economy expands because you've added more dollars into the economy sure. through this lending. Sure. So the idea is, is maybe on the surface good. Uh, we'll, we'll start there. But if you lend money to a bunch of people that can't afford the house. Now, in the 90s, we have people borrowing more and more and more. Home prices start to go up because everybody's borrowing to get a house. The home prices are going up. People are buying homes they can't afford. This happens all the way to 2005, 2006, 2007. What's happened is a lot of people in the economy from a government incentive, now there's only one piece of this, but from a government incentive in the 90s, has pushed a, a certain market in the overall economy to create a bubble where home prices have gone up superficially. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's been actually able to pay their mortgages. And then all of a sudden it falls really, really quickly. So now this is, this is a cycle. Now it was a little bit of a unique cycle. It's not your normal debt, short-term debt cycle, but this is something that triggered a major deleveraging. And now, now let's go to the individual. You, Leo, in the 2000s, are saving. Uh, you have a budget. Uh, you've not overspent on a house. No, so I paid off my house. Paid off your house, right? So when 2008 comes and the overall market, which was influenced by some economic policies and, and easy credit, easy lending, mm -hmm. high credit worthiness, like everybody's buying, 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 creating that huge up cycle. Now when the bubble pops and the whole economy comes down, where are you individually sitting? I have resources, so I can actually take advantage of it. You've paid off your house. Right. You have savings. Now, when all the housing goes down, you can actually purchase an investment property 
or maybe refinance an investment property and get a lower rate. Uh, you can get into a house or you can buy a piece of property when it's at a low cost. Mm -hmm. So individually you can be set up even during the downturns. Yeah. Uh, but if you can see the whole picture, you'll be a little bit more ready. And so it just, it shows that government policy, uh, individual human behavior, all these things come together in a really unique way. And that is, that's what, that's a part of what happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. Now, the the Federal Reserve, they immediately cranked the interest rates down to zero as fast as they could That's right. because they wanted to make more money available even in that season of people that couldn't pay their debts. They're like, hey, how do we how do we keep the spending going and yep. go past this downturn bubble? Right. But that wasn't enough. Just having the interest rates at zero and making as much money available as possible, it wasn't working because the banks Really, they're afraid to lend because they're seeing a whole bunch of people unable to repay their debts. Mm -hmm. So then the Federal Reserve has to start printing money and pouring money into the economy, uh, buying things through the federal government. So the Federal Reserve can print the money, but the federal government is the ones that can spend the money. Now, you could give it out in stimulus checks. You could do bailouts for banks. You could do bailouts for big companies. When, unemployment. Unemployment. Yeah, unemployment is a great example. Um, right now, we in coronavirus, the government spent by increasing the unemployment checks by $600. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is a – it's the Fed printing, but the government spending. Right. And all of this is in one of these cycles. And you just have to be able to take a step back and say, okay, what am I doing personally to deleverage, to remove debt from my life, to increase my margin so I can be ready for these cycles? Yeah, so here's how the government, what they have available to them in order to deleverage in a deleveraging season, right? So number one, they can cut spending. Now, this is good because there's less spending through borrowing, which in turn... As long as you remove debt, now there's less expenses. So that's good in the long term, but it's bad in the short term because there's less spending and less spending means less income for somebody else. The number two thing that they can do is to reduce debt. When people can't pay their debts, defaults can happen on multiple levels, both individually, businesses, mm -hmm. right? And we see that we saw that in 2008. Yep. Where banks were not making the kind of income because people were defaulting on their loans. Mm -hmm. They were foreclosing on people's homes. So the banks had to be bailed out. Like that was a big contentious thing because the government was pumping tons of money into banks in order to give them money to lend out. Mm -hmm. But banks were literally seizing properties, which <laughs> right? is not what banks want. Banks no. don't want properties to no. manage because that's a big loss for them. So in the end, though, cutting uh, and reducing debt is a major part of deleveraging. You, you, you've been building it up for 75 to 80, 100 years it's going to have to be paid. That's the mm -hmm. reality of, of debt. You can't just erase it away. It has to be paid. So debt restructuring happens. Even though debt is reduced, it causes income and asset values to disappear yeah, right? Right. Right. even faster because these debt burdens get worse. Right. Yeah. So lower incomes and less employment means less taxes for the government while they need more money to support the unemployed. So all of this begins to feed on itself. As people can't pay their debt because they're over leveraged, the government's trying to take on more responsibility, support, and help uh, people. And the deficit explodes uh, as, the, as people spend and as the government spends uh, collectively. So there is no solving this in the short term. But the government can either cut spending, reduce debt. They can redistribute wealth through tax uh, changes, right? They can change the tax to tax the rich. And this is something that you hear a lot about these days. 
right? Let's tax the rich because that's going to help us to be able to pay all these debts off. And in reality, that sounds like a great plan, but it's not. Because remember, these wealthy people have options. They could either stay in the United States or they can move out of the United States. And this has happened in the past if you research it. But another thing that can happen is, of course, they can stop spending. They can stop inventing. They can stop building businesses. And that is going to affect jobs, which affects spending, which affects the economy. Right. And when you have what you're just describing is basically a great recession or a depression right. or maybe a light recession as well, yeah. um, is when all of these things are happening simultaneously and the government then has to start cut spending, has to restructure debt or businesses have to restructure or individuals have to restructure. When this is happening, the economy is in a bad place. And this is where you get um, a lot of social unrest. Yes. Because yes. everything was good for a number of years while jobs were growing, incomes were increasing, productivity was increasing, credit was increasing. But now that starts to dry up and it starts to drop the exact opposite direction. And people feel the pain. Now, when you're in pain, you immediately look, it's like, it's like a lifeguard who's going yeah. out to save somebody. Yeah. They say lifeguards, like, don't put your own life at risk when you save them. You may have to knock somebody out so you can save them and pull them out of the water yeah. because a drowning person in pain will drown you and pull you under. When somebody is in pain, it, it erupts into a social unrest. Mm -hmm. And we see this uh, across our country right now. Yeah. And it's legitimate pain, and it's going through one of these cycles. Um, now there are there are legitimate social things that should be reviewed. There are legitimate, you know, overall things that need to be looked at. But if you look at the economic perspective, part of what's happening now socially is because of this deleveraging uh, depression. Now it happened mainly because the coronavirus instigated a major shift. Yes. But we were we were probably headed in the cycle to head yeah. that direction anyway. This just it, it just like it was going to happen, uh, you know, twelve years ago or maybe eleven years ago, and it was going to happen anyway. But the housing bubble caused it to happen immediately. Mm -hmm. It was about to happen. I was looking at this, you know, two years ago, three years ago, thinking it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. Then coronavirus happened, and it happened immediately. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's just crazy. This is where you see the government printing money. And the central bank has a 0% interest rate, trying to pump as much money into the economy as possible. The government can only buy financial assets. They can really only buy, like think of government bonds. Mm -hmm. That's a financial asset. They buy the bonds. Um, and as that happens, uh, the government now has money to spend. And as they're spending and printing, you see this inflation occur because you're seeing a lot more money come in to the economy. Um, asset prices go up right, because right. there's a lot more money available. The government spends on goods and services, unemployment, like we talked about, other programs. Um, and so this is very, very tricky. The government has to come out with the right policies. The Federal Reserve has to work hand in hand and cooperate during these deflationary times um, or using these deflationary methods, cutting spending, reducing debt, redistributing wealth potentially, which is what you're hearing a lot about. Yeah. Um, you're seeing that in the news and with a balance of the inflation. So you have the deflationary options and then you have the inflation that happens when you're spending money. And there has to be a really unique balance between the deflation and the inflation. And if either one gets out of line, it can be a very painful mm -hmm. economic cycle. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be difficult anyway. It's not about 
gosh, is there a way for us to get out of this and not suffer at all? Well, no. Uh, think of it just from your own personal perspective. If you've borrowed and now you're in a position where, let's say, a third of your income is going just to credit cards and your debt, mm-hmm. car payments, credit cards, all of that. That's going to be painful to get out of. Unless you have a rich uncle that can come and just take the whole pain away by paying all your debts, there's no way you're going to just go unscathed from that. And that's the reality on a massive economic scale. So it affects us personally the same way it affects the the economy. So we need to understand that this is not going to be easy, but there is a way, there is a way to deleverage, go through deleveraging in a way that's less painful and in the end will bring economic growth. Mm -hmm. It'll put us in a better financial situation. Long term. Yeah. And it's the same thing that we do when we're working with somebody one-on-one. When I work with somebody one-on-one, the first thing I do is I look at what's your economic situation. How much money do you make? How much money are you spending? How much of that is spent on debt? How much debt do you have? How much savings do you have? We're looking at the same factors that impact the economy because it's impacting the economy of this individual. It's economy. It's just finances. So it's the same thing. What I do is I look and say, okay, to get you on a solid foundation, financially speaking, we need to increase savings, we need to decrease debt, and we need to create margin between what's going out and what's coming in. And right now, more than likely, that person's situation is that there's more money going out, meaning there's more requirements for bills and payments than there is income coming in. That's usually why they come to us, David. Mm-hmm. They just they can't manage it anymore. It's unmanageable. So what we do is we help them through a deleveraging process. Mm-hmm. Cut spending, right? Increase income, yep. build savings up so that you have margin so you don't have to borrow more. Because here's the thing. If I can't get you to pay down your debt, and if I can't help you to build up your savings, if I can't do both of those, then your debt's going to eat up too much of your income, and not having savings will make you run back to credit cards, which will only take more of your income. So it's a defeating cycle. It does not help. So we need to cut spending while increasing income. And it really does come down to productivity, doesn't it? I mean, that's the big that's thing. That's why we said it's the number one driver of the economy, that productivity growth, as long as productivity increases and exceeds above what we borrow, we're always going to be in a good situation. Mm-hmm. It's when we allow too much spending, which is more than what we're producing, that's usually when these cycles, that's why we have up and down cycles. Yep. If there was no borrowing beyond what you could afford to do, <laughs> if all of us were yep. wise and not borrowing more than we should, uh, and that's what financial education can potentially do, mm-hmm. is to educate us on what's safe and what's not, and fully understand what the ramifications of these decisions are so that we can make good decisions consistently over a lifetime. Yep. And over time, it'll get better uh, for all of us and the economy if we follow these principles. Yeah, with productivity being at the center of that, both individually for businesses and for government and whole economies, I think that's one place where you and I, Leo, we will probably even spend more of our time in the future is because a lot of times we work with people on their budgets and mm-hmm. on decreasing their spending yeah. and decreasing their debt. But there's, but at the same time, we have instructed and helped people to find part-time jobs and increase their income. But that ability to increase productivity, that is the long-term solution yes. to a lot of this. Absolutely. Uh, but it's coupled with that deleveraging. It's coupled with that removing debt, lowering expenses. And yeah, so you, you can't make more money without considering that if you're just continuing to borrow beyond what you're making, well, that's just gonna, not going to be a recipe for success. So there is a both. It's reducing debt, managing debt to the level that's safe for you, but also 
Again, if I make more money or I have a good income, it's much easier to fix a financial mess. Mm -hmm. Having low income and a big debt. Oh, it's hard. I mean, that's heartbreaking because it's like in the short term, there's nothing I can do for you. In the long term, you might have to go back to school. You might have to get a profession. And that might take years for you to be yes. able to make a good income. So that's why it's so important. We talk so much about making sure that you're looking at your uh, resume, looking at improving your skill, be a lifelong learner, because you have to make yourself more worthy of a higher paycheck, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur or working for a company, because that has such a direct correlation to your financial well-being, but making f wise financial decisions. And again, it's how you manage debt and whether you're saving consistently is going to make the biggest impact. Because mm -hmm. even if you make good money, if you spend more than you make, well, there's no way you, you know, that's, look at our government. That's what it's doing. Right. It's spending more than it's making year after year after year. And now we're at 20 some trillion dollars worth of debt. Yeah. Uh, and just like you, when you have too much debt, you someday will have to pay it. Mm -hmm. That will happen on a, on our national level. Yeah. And, and that's going to be painful for all of us because it's going to impact all of us. I just pulled up the U.S. national debt clock. It's $27 trillion, yeah. right? And our federal tax revenue, I'm looking at it here, is about $3 trillion. And so... You want to hear something interesting. Yeah. I started teaching on finances about 17, 18 years ago. And I remember going to the debtclock.org and pulling up a picture that I used for one of my classes where the debt was around six or seven trillion dollars. Wow. That's twenty trillion dollars ago. Yeah. <laughs> in less than twenty years. That's, That's an incredible amount of debt yeah. that, that we've taken on. Yeah. It's unfortunate because I think it gives us the sense that, well, somehow the government, you know, they they must know what they're doing because, you know, there's a bunch of smart people over there. Well, I mean, these are not principles that that defy logic. They right. are what they are. Right. You know, it's when it comes down to it, it's it's a math thing. <laughs> Does it add up? And if it doesn't, uh, there's going to have to be a piper to pay at some point. That's right. So three quick rules of thumb. One, don't have your debt rise faster than your income. That's number one right there. Two is don't have your income rise faster than productivity. Now, that is specifically in relation to the economy, uh, because what happens is you become uncompetitive. Mm -hmm. Now, this can also happen personally. This is a little bit interesting. Yeah. This can happen personally when you get somebody who has been in a career for a long time and their income is higher than what they're actually producing. Yeah. And eventually what happens is the company comes and looks at, hey, who's producing as yeah. much as they're earning? And actually, if you're working for a company, they want to typically see you producing two to three times as much as you're earning right. for the company. So if your productivity is lower than your income individually, that's a problem. Governmentally, that's a problem. If we are raising incomes and let's say setting minimum wages or raising incomes through other policies, um, but we're not actually increasing our productivity as a country. Yeah, yeah, it has a negative effect. It will have a terrible effect yes. long term. Yes. Um, and then the third rule of thumb is do all that you can to raise your productivity. This is what matters most in the long run. Absolutely. Um, we love education. We love free education. We love podcasts. We <laughs> love books. We love inexpensive education from high quality sources. Um, but but college education, higher education, um, taking courses. Uh, this is this is one of the ways you increase your productivity. Sometimes it's just working a few extra hours. Sometimes it's through relationships. Sometimes it's through new software and hardware. You know, and and computers. There's all sorts of ways. But that is a major, major rule of thumb. Do it personally mm -hmm. and do it as an economy. That's where you want to spend your time.
that's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, that it was helpful to you. And if you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast that you're currently using. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate and leave us a review. We'd love to have reviews because when you do that, more people find the podcast and can benefit from this content. To gain access to this podcast, show notes, find tools and other relevant content, visit leosabo.com where you will find me and everything that I'm up to. David, where can people go to find out what you're up to these days? Yeah, come over to stewardshippastors.com. Check out the resources and tools. Uh, you can also join me on my Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. Connect with me there. Shoot me a message. And I've gotten actually some feedback just recently as people are getting back to work and driving more and getting back into workout routines. People are connecting more and more back through the podcast and back through other rev uh, avenues of connecting. Yep. So it's great to hear from you. Yeah, I appreciate that. This is a shout out to those who you've touched base, either shooting a text text, an email, or connecting on socials, uh, come over to stewardshippastors.com, check out the book, Jesus on Money, and I look forward to spending more time with you. So overall, we just want to thank you, and we look forward to spending time with you next time. So together, we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money, money right. right. If there was no borrowing beyond what you could afford to do, <laughs> if all of us were yep. wise and not borrowing more than we should, uh, and that's what financial education can potentially do, mm -hmm. is to educate us on what's safe and what's not, and fully understand what the ramifications of these decisions are, 